I'm Lonnie Diane Rich, and this is How Story Works. We have spent all of our time so far talking about the building blocks of story, conflict and structure. I don't know about you, but to me, these are the least interesting parts of storytelling. It's the grunt work, the reinforcements sewn into the corset so it holds its shape. Don't get me wrong, conflict and structure are important, and the better you get to know how they work, the more fun you get to have with them. But when it comes right down to it, it's not the most fascinating part of storytelling, at least not for me. For me, the most fascinating part of storytelling is character. I would argue that character is also the most important part of storytelling, because without character, you don't have story. Stories are about the human experience, even when we're telling stories about gods or aliens or ancient Celtic fae. Stories are always about human experience. Conflict is about two humans with mutually exclusive goals. Structure is about escalating that conflict and following our protagonist through their struggles, watching them change as pressure is applied to their life. And all this comes down to character. The decorations and the cake are nice, but the party is about the birthday girl. So that's what we're going to start talking about now. Characters. How they work, why sometimes they don't work, and why they matter so damn much. George R.R. R. Martin, in A Dance with Dragons, the fifth novel in the Game of Thrones series, wrote, A reader lives a thousand lives before he dies, said Jojen. The man who never reads lives only one. Now, I'm with him with the understanding that you must define reader as anyone who engages with any kind of story. Novel, movie, TV show, video game, graphic novel, audiobook, comic book. Insert your preferred delivery system for story here. They are all equally legit, and don't let anyone tell you any different. Anyway, we write stories, we tell stories, and we engage with stories in order to have these experiences. Stories are our gateway to a thousand lives. The reason why we, as storytellers, build conflict and structure into the stories is to give the story focus, to keep our reader engaged so that they're still with us through all the hard stuff until we get to the end where we, ideally, pay off that investment of time and energy big time. And without character, none of it means anything. We spent some time earlier in the series talking about protagonists and antagonists, so I'm going to briefly review that here, but if you need a refresher with more depth, go back to episode 6, Protagonist-Antagonist, and listen again. It's a fun episode. It'll be worth it. So our main characters in any story are the protagonist and the antagonist. Let's start with the protagonist. The word protagonist comes from the Greek, protos, which means first, and agon, which means struggle. So our protagonist is literally first in the struggle. The protagonist is our main character, the one on whose back the reader will ride through the story world all the way through to the end. A strong protagonist has three qualities in his construction. One, he's the POV or point of view character. This means we see the world from his perspective. Two, he has the most at stake. If the central narrative conflict does not go his way, he will lose more than anyone else in the story. Three, he provides the motive force for the story. His commitment to his goal, which fuels the central narrative conflict, keeps the story moving along. He doesn't pack up his toys and go home. 
You'll notice I left the character arc out of that list. While the character arc, which is the way in which the pressure from a central narrative conflict essentially changes our character, usually for the better. While that's a good thing, and I recommend it, it isn't necessary to the construction of a good story. We will talk about character arcs and character breaks in a future episode, but I've gotten that question before, so I wanted to address it quickly now. Okay, on to the antagonist. From the Greek, anti means against, and agon is still struggle. So the antagonist is against in the struggle. She is the opposing force to the protagonist's motive force. And the antagonist has one job, one, to block the protagonist. That's it. And it's what makes the antagonist so much fun to write and to read. You have all that freedom. An antagonist can be anywhere on the spectrum from good to evil. She can be funny or sour, single-minded or complex, straightforward or trickster. To build a protagonist, you have to constantly keep him in line, make him sympathetic enough that our reader will care about him, stay in his POV for most of the story. So much work. An antagonist? One job. Block the protagonist. Aside from that, do what you want. Have a great time. And that's the thing that's so much fun. An antagonist does not have to be a mustache-twirling devil tying girls to railroad tracks just for the pure fun of it. But really, how fun is it tying girls to railroad tracks? It seems like a lot of work with very little payoff. Plus, the girl has to stay perfectly still while you're trying to pull the rope through the tracks, and you'd have to dig down into the dirt to find a space to get the rope through. It just doesn't make any sense. Which brings us to our biggest problem with antagonists. Often, no one ever looks at the story through their point of view. Why the railroad tracks? Why the extended monologue about their actions and motivations at the end? Are they trying to give the protagonist time to foil their plans? Do they secretly have a failure complex they're working out in therapy? A story has to make sense from both the protagonist's and the antagonist's perspective. That's when you know it's solid. So those are our two main characters, protagonist and antagonist. Sometimes, in the case of an internal central narrative conflict, both of those characters are fused into one. So, okay, what is everyone else? Supporting characters. They are the protagonist's community, friends, family, colleagues, townsfolk. A supporting character can have a scene or a subplot in which they are the protagonist, but they remain supporting until they are the protagonist in a central narrative conflict all their own. So these are our three basic categories of character. Protagonist, antagonist, supporting. Every character you write will fall into one of these three base categories. Those categories, however, speak only to their function in the grand scheme of the narrative structure. What you need to understand now is how to build these characters, how to make them interesting, engaging, sympathetic. And that's where we're going to pick up next time when we talk about strengths, weaknesses, and vulnerabilities, and the character triangle. Today's question comes from Brittany. Hi, Lonnie. Uh, this is Brittany. I'm just calling in with a question about how we can structure stories around, um, like, inanimate objects or things that are not, like, people that, things that are not real people. Um, I'm, a, I'm a scientist, and I'm really interested in learning how to tell stories about the science that I do, but it's hard to give it drama, and I'm just interested in learning better ways of communicating science and using storytelling to do that. So uh, I know that's kind of a vague question, but how can you make that sort of stuff exciting? Um, anyways, thank you, and uh, thanks for the show. It's really, really awesome. I love it.
Brittany. I love this question. Thank you so much for calling in. You are not the first person to have this problem. Many an educational film has been brought down by a boring narrator saying an atom is the basic unit of a chemical element. Yawn, right? The quickest and most common answer to this is anthropomorphization. Yeah, say that fast five times, right? What that is, is essentially assigning human qualities, feelings, and motivations to something that is not human. Like, years ago, the kids loved watching those puppy cams on the internet. You know, someone would point a camera at a bunch of puppies in a basket and just let it run all day. And I would sit with the kids and voice the puppies based on whatever they were doing. I would make them apologize to each other when they stepped on each other's heads. I'd make characters out of them. The bully, the dumb one, the wise ass. That's anthropomorphization. Did you ever see Schoolhouse Rock? I'm just a bill. Yeah, I'm only a bill. And I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. Anthropomorphization. The problem with anthropomorphization with science is that you've got scientific reality, which you want to be accurate with, and then you've got storytelling structures. If I talk about an atom that is lonely and wants to bond with another atom, then I'm anthropomorphizing that atom. I'm giving it a vulnerability, loneliness, and a goal, wanting to bond with another atom. Am I misleading people about how chemistry works? I don't know, probably. I'm not a scientist, and I recall almost nothing from high school chem, so I have no idea. But if you're serving two masters, storytelling and scientific accuracy, you're going to find yourself having to sacrifice one for the other at some point. I hope that helps, Brittany. Please, get in touch. Let me know how that's going. I think it's kind of cool. All right, that's it for today. If you have questions about how story works, call 302-643-CHIP. That's 302-643-2447 and leave a message. Or you can email me at Lonnie at Chipperish.com or contact me on Twitter at Lonnie Diane Rich or at Chipperish with the hashtag HowStoryWorks. If you enjoy How Story Works, please consider reviewing it on Apple Podcasts and sharing it with your friends on social media. This is the single most powerful thing you can do to get more people loving all of the podcasts you love. So if there are any other podcasts that you feel deserve a larger audience, rate and review them as well while you're there. The more the word gets out, the more podcasts all of your favorite podcasters will be able to make. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time.